All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another one-on-one chat with me, Vijay, on Tech Comedy Live. We have a very, very special friend, someone I've known who is actually based on visible evidence, police reports, as well as the Senate and all the parliamentary reports that's available publicly, that Naj is is actually my brother from another mother because he has very similar quirky understandings, quirky understanding of life. And I, and I wanted to actually ask him to come on board because we always have the most fascinating discussions, um, especially maybe not now uh, because of time. But in the past, we used to have fantastic, mind-boggling discussions rooted, rooted in factual evidence. But we would expand on that scientifically. And I thought, what a, what a better way to discuss a few things with Naj where we go super random and we are going to answer it, but Naj, you can introduce yourself very soon. It has to be something zany and loony, but rooted in mathematical or scientific foundation. Sure. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. My name is Naj, and as Vijay already introduced me as his brother from another mother, <clears throat> although I do believe that um, his mother had far better genes um, that she passed on to him because the only thing I got was a very wacky sense of humor. And also I have recently realized that I can drive in reverse uh, while being completely drunk. And um, I think that could be a useful skill to have, though I don't think I can put that up on my resume. But um, all things said and done, my friendship with VJ has been one of the most enriching experiences that I've had. And despite the distance, literally continental distances that exist between us, we have not let that really uh, affect our friendship in any way. And I'm really happy to uh, have him as a friend in my life. And that's pretty much all the lies I can say for today. All all the lies. I'm glad you said it because um, you should understand Naj is actually renowned in, in popular culture with his driving skill stories that we have received that is numerous and vast all over the world of Naja's driving skills. It is legendary, legendary Inclu- driving skills. Including I mean, the, the guy, ones we had in, I mean, the, in South Africa, remember? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, he's the kind of guy, even a power steering engine and system in a BMW was freaking out because, I mean, I couldn't believe it. So, yes, so he really knows. In fact, he should be sent to NASA. If he can work it, though, those ships will never fail. They will land in Mars first time. If I go to NASA, they'll ship me off to SpaceX, and then the next Falcon rocket that Elon Musk launches with a car and a driver, that driver's going to be me. (laughs) And I still pretty much prefer being on Earth. (laughs) Where else oh, do you get such delicious planet. chicken? You're down to earth in that sense. Yeah, this is the only planet with chicken on it. That is true. That is true. Unfortunately, we don't think we're going to get a KFC on Mars yet. Right. And I don't want to have right. a Martian chicken. Right. So, oh, okay. I mean, a Martian chicken is just going to be, um, what's the word, more red, and a little more peri-peri, and it weighs a bit less when you eat it. <laughs> Well, I haven't thought of it that way, but yeah, why not? Yeah, there you go. 
So, Naj. Yes. Naj, someone who has been in the world of analytics, and it turns out he understands it in and out when it comes to applying the knowledge of analytics. And I wanted to ask him, first of all, how did he start in this field? How did all this begin for you? Uh, so if you're asking it as a career option or you're asking it as a business who was trying to figure out how to use analytics in their um, everyday business. So which direction do you want to have this uh, discussion? Okay, sure. First, let's begin with how you got into the industry and, and how you got deep into that field. Right. And the second, we'll talk about the business application, how businesses can use sure. to better use analytics. Well, my entry into this world was quite uh, comedic. It was quite a bit of a comedy, actually, because I was literally drunk when I was given this choice with if I want to enter the world of analytics. And uh, I have realized that in my life, most of the good decisions I have taken was when I was drunk. And I'm not kidding. <laughs> this is actually a fact. So um, back in 2009, when I joined um, Accenture Consulting, um, straight out of my B school, and uh, I had a great run there for two years, and I made lots and lots of friends. And after that, I moved out of Accenture Consulting and to another firm. But one of my, though, one of my friends from um, that team, uh, he moved to Mumbai, which is my home city. And he, within Accenture, was starting up this whole new practice for analytics. And this is now 2013. And uh, when he moved to Mumbai, he called me up and we met up on a Friday evening for drinks. And he just casually asked me if I would be interested. And he was someone I was very close to. I had already uh, seen him work. And for me, he was like a mentor. I couldn't say no to him. So Friday night, I said, after I think a couple of years down, that sure, I'd love to explore. I had no clue what it was. Next day, Saturday, I go to Accenture office. I meet him. I meet his supervisor, who was the global lead at that time for analytics. And in 15 minutes, I have the job. And uh, I was told that I can start um, you know, uh, within a month or within two months, whenever I can, the earliest that I can. And that's how I actually entered analytics. I had no skills. I had no uh, background. I had no um, project experience, none whatsoever. And I still entered it. And I realized that, you know, uh, why did that guy think of me being a good fit? And it made me come to realize that to be successful in analytics as a career, you only, knew, you only need two things. And if you have these two things really uh, well established, then you can do wonders in the world of analytics. And those two things are, one, you need to have an absolutely curious mind. You need to be someone who always asks why, no matter what data, what insight, what um, event is presented to you. Something as simple as going grocery shopping with your wife on a weekend and you see tomatoes are kept next to bananas. And a question pops up in your mind. Why are these two placed next to each other? Something as trivial as that. So that's what you really need to have, a very, very inquisitive mind. 
Um, and that's one of the most foundational and fundamental skills that you will need to succeed in analytics, number one. And uh, number two, most important skill that you need um, is you being comfortable with math. Now, I know this is, um, you know, this may sound very daunting. It's actually not. You don't need very advanced mathematics like trigonometry or, um, you know, calculus or um, the kind of stuff that goes into rockets. No, you don't need those kind of, uh, that level of math. You need very basic math, multiplication, addition, subtraction, division, that kind of math. So that when you get the numbers, you are comfortable in manipulating them. You are comfortable in analyzing them. If you have these two skills that I called out, an extremely inquisitive mind and a general sense of comfort with basic mathematics, you can go into the field of analytics and you can um, you know, hope for having a career um, in that field. And then there are a bunch of other things that come along. You, you would have heard fancy terms like data science and all of that. All of these are acquired skills. You can always learn them. Um, there are so many different kind of tools which are available now. There are programming languages that are used. Don't get um, you know, uh, scared. I don't have any experience in programming. You ask me, what is Python? I'll think of a snake. <laughs> that is the level of uh, <laughs> ignorance that I have towards the actual tools and tech. But yet, I have had some amount of success in this field over the last seven, eight years. Let's go somewhere specific. Now Now that you've uh, understood and everything, what can a business that's new in the field of analytics, in fact, there are some, a lot of businesses that are still very manual, still do a lot of work, um, without using the data. So what advice would you give them as a great starting point to get going in analytics for their well, business? First and foremost, uh, I would say that figure out the, the... So every entrepreneur or every startup in that sense, they all start with something called as a MVP, a minimum viable product. And they then start building up on top of that. So if you are launching a website, you have like a base website that you launch, which has the basic functionality that you thought you would provide. And then you keep adding layers after layers on that. Now for every startup, firstly, they are always constrained in terms of their budget and they need to focus on building the product itself. Uh, one thing which I would say analytics can actually help them uh, is reduce the time they would spend in figuring out how that product is being looked at by the customers. So the customers who they wanted to target using that product, they had something in mind, right? That I'm solving this problem for that customer and my product is going to solve this problem for them. Could be anything. It could be about finding information on a topic. It could be about buying something. It could be anything, right? Is that yes. really what customers perceive your product to be? And to be able to really understand that, you need to understand you know, the initial responses of the customers. So for example, if you're launching a mobile app, uh, which provides some information uh, and that's your product, the mobile app is your product. How many downloads are you getting? What kind of people are downloading it? What, how many times do customers log in? 
what are they doing? How much time do they spend? Which screens do they spend the most time on? Where are they getting stuck? Uh, how are they closing the application? There are like a bunch of these metrics that you can analyze. And I would say when you are beginning to start off, you need to have a very clear understanding of how your customers are behaving and how they're reacting to your product. Um, and if you are not able to get the right insights from that data analysis, then you may end up going into a direction which uh, you realize that your customers are not really reacting to. And so many startups I have seen fail uh, one way or the other, this is where they miss out on. They, they think they understand what the customer wants, but eventually it turns out that they were wrong. And they never really spent the time or the effort to do that kind of analysis. They just went with their gut feeling that I think this is what makes sense and um, it didn't. So during those initial phases, if you can figure out a way to listen uh, the voice of the customer, as we call it. I think that could be a, a very important aspect in deciding whether your, your startup is really going to be successful or not. Okay, since you've spoken about analytics in the real world and the current application, I'm going to throw a spanner in the works and now we're going to go philosophical. I'm, I'm shivering already. Okay. But I'm thinking you're the best person to answer philosophical questions. So there was a guy called you. there was a guy now called we Phil know how to... in my my uh, post graduation, and he was not philosophical. So I'm not sure how I'll be one, but sure, let's try. So that means he's the first guy I you would meet who would say, "I think, <laughs> therefore, I'm not." Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. So here's the philosophical question. Now mm -hmm. that we have the tools available, how would you tell a startup or organization or humanity in general, what indicators would you need to use in the world of analytics to say, aha, yes, this AI is in fact sentient? Oh, wow. Okay. Actually, there is one thing which... Um has been, so I have been in this space of AI now for the last couple of years. AI is a very different uh, departure from the traditional analytics world that I had seen prior. Um, what started off as a simple journey of automation and AI was expected to drive that, it is now taking on a very different shape. Now, one thing that we see in popular culture uh, about AI, like in the movies or in, uh, in the news and stuff. When we see AI, we are only seeing intelligent robots trying to take over the world. But the truth is, AI is not just doing that. AI is doing a whole lot of other things at the back end that we don't realize now. Uh, it's highly likely that this podcast that we are currently on and the application that is hosting it, they will have some kind of AI running at the back end, which is recording our audio, it's transcribing that into text, analyzing it, generating a bunch of reports and stuff like that. So AI has really pervaded a lot of different industries and a lot of different applications. Um, from a metric standpoint, you really cannot boil it down to one or two such metrics. It's like painting the whole canvas with the same brush. You just cannot do that anymore. 
you have to figure out what application are you looking at. So if you want AI in the sense of conversational AI, so if, you know you have all these chatbots that you can now engage with when you go onto a company's website and you use the chat option, more or less uh, you will have some kind of a virtual assistant responding to your chat messages. So that's conversational AI. Um, and uh, the famous uh, Turing test has still been, or it is still being considered one of the most foremost uh, metrics, um, as it were, to see how human-like that chatbot actually is. So uh, it's still a holy grail for most uh, platforms. Uh, only a few of them have come even close to pass the Turing test. I think IBM Watson um, is one of those uh, players in the market and also Google. So Google has this AI, which is really good and uh, it almost gives you the sense that you are talking to an actual agent. But that version is not made commercial yet. It's still under beta and it's still under their R&D labs. They haven't really rolled it out. Interestingly, in popular culture, there's yep. a movie called Ex Machina. It came out quite a few years ago. And very interesting uh, mm -hmm. form of literature that was used is how the man was interviewing okay. the robot because he was so fascinated. It was so real-like, so realistic, so human-like. And he was asking questions um, deliberately uh, and genuinely because he wanted to know right. how intelligent the robot was. But here's the irony. The robot was actually applying a Turing test Correct. to figure out if the human was, in fact, real to them. And that was, for me, a very poignant and powerful right. system uh, to say if a robot can turn it around, or does a robot, I mean AI, could turn it around and ask you questions and test you based on a Turing test, that could be right. an indication of intelligence. In Star Wars, sorry, not Star Wars, sorry, Star Trek, the Borg are the AI, mm -hmm. the collective AI, right? And the writers have shown the first indicator of intelligence was in fact when they learned how to deceive. That was the sign of, of, of AI having a homogenous right. sentient value because they were able to deceive, which is quite interesting because I was reading about the culture of AI and how AI is portrayed in popular culture. And they show AI as Skynet right. very often in Western culture because AI through culture is based on the human culture, which is when certain cultures grow, they become strong, they become overpowering, they become uh, dominant as well as oppressive. So that's a human uh, culture trait that's been brought from Western culture into the, into the books. Because when Japanese culture write about AI, it's happy faces, happy smiles, uh, the human and AI are working in, 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 in conjunction to one another, they are equal, they help each one another, they exist for one another. And, and that's the two different views of AI right. coming from Western and Eastern culture, right. which right. is quite interesting. Yeah, I have read yeah. about that myself. Um, mm. But I think we are still, at least a couple of decades away to even reach those kind of applications. For now, the way I see things evolve in the mm -hmm. real world, AI is still um, considered to be more like a, well, <clears throat> not to you know belittle it, but it's still considered more of a concierge service, which kind of 
essentially eliminates you know a lot of human effort spent in doing those kind of things um so you have that uh, you have all these assistants right you have cv you have alexa uh you have the google voice assistant they're all ai enabled yeah. and if you really see they are they are like your personal assistants um, at best um today and they are just trying to simplify your day to day tasks so that's pretty much what you have seen the application of ai in that sphere the consumer facing sphere um but if you look at it from the organizational sphere things within the organization as well um ai is fundamentally still uh following the same uh, application of trying to uh automate a lot of those insight generating capabilities now you have to also look at the fact that we have had a data explosion happening over the last two decades especially with the dawn of the internet we are now talking not in terabytes we are talking in exabytes and we are talking in zettabytes and i don't know yottabytes i don't even know what those names are i can't pronounce them i only know till terra and peter Mhm. When in doubt, if you need a really big number, just say a uh, Brazilian. <laughs> okay, I'll keep that in mind. Or yes, but there we go. It's a. It's, uh, how many people died? A Brazilian died. Oh my God! So many people. <laughs> no, I meant a Brazilian died. You know. So, so can I? You can use that. Can I use uh, that as, when as, I as actually to, go to Brazil? Yes, you can. I don't know if you will end up yeah. being the dead Brazilian in the story, but you are welcome. <laughs> Yes. Maybe that will be the first question they'll ask at immigration. Is it probably? In fact, in fact, oh, talking about immigration, I'll tell you a funny story. Mm-hmm. When I was exiting Guatemala, I was getting out. I bought an iPod from there at that time, and I was leaving the airport. And the guard there is what I like to like to label as if the price is right okay. checkpoint. I felt like this was if the price is right checkpoint because I would show mm-hmm. him what I bought in Guatemala. I would tell him what I paid for it, and he would disagree mm-hmm. with me. He said, "No, you bought, you paid too much. No, you, I can't let you." I'm like, "What are you talking about? You, you don't like it because I paid more <laughs> than standard price." So it was like a if the price is right checkpoint that was going on. So I had to like guess the right price with him, and if he's okay with it, I let me go. And I'm like, "Why don't you want to check people who are actually doing bad things <laughs> instead of worrying about the price?" I was just thinking, you know. So yeah, that was my what was that experience. product you bought? An iPhone, <laughs> iPod, iPod. That, that, this was a while back. Yeah, uh, no, my this was uh, ten years. My ago. real question is, so what were you doing in Guatemala buying an iPod? Well, I was actually literally living there for two months because I was uh, working as oh, a support so engineer there on a work project. Got, got it. I thought you went all yeah, the way yeah. to Guatemala just to pick up an iPod. I said, "Is the currency conversion so bad that it, it made it sense? It made sense to go all the way till there to pick it up? Like, wow! Yeah, <laughs> that's a fantastic story <laughs> to tell. Yeah. Um, but now we're going into another diversion. Mm-hmm. Now that you've told me about this, can I ask you: Are we living? in a parallel universe. See, now this is where things get tricky because when you say parallel and I was really bad at trigonometry in school so I can't understand what does parallel mean in the first place. 
parallel would mean a coexisting existence of multiple universes that I impact ha- on I find another. it hard to coexist with my wife in the same universe. And you are now asking me to extrapolate that to multiple universes mm. and multiverses. Well, you know what? Here's a mind-blowing concept. There mm-hmm. are other wives like your wife in those other universes also having causing trouble with another parallel nudge in those in those universes to imagine the cumulative this sounds like that's going on right now that like famous greek tragedy um mm. i don't even know where to begin speaking <laughs> speaking of parallel <laughs> universes wow i would not imagine uh, we living in even one single universe let's first try to live in one universe peacefully and harmoniously then we can imagine what's happening in the other universe mm Well you know how the saying is uh, there are greener pastures in our how can we haven't invaded them yet Oh well, I'm sure we will when if we figure out a way we will do it if and we know that there are resources of a different type and then we'll find a, a, a marketplace to sell those and then we'll the, have a stock market to allow us to trade in their shares and the whole cycle of capitalism will repeat itself yes it's so it'll be just be parallel parallel wow. cyclic capitalism <laughs> that will ha- that will happen would would that also mean a parallel universe <laughs> of the same politicians that we have in the world today well that depends on how we define it our parallel universes uh, existence are they based on the same people would it be a completely different thing would it be a slight variation where one politician looks the same but one simply uses a different verb than another mm-hmm. like a a minute variation or completely different way one lies and the other one's true in, in that universe will there be traffic problems like i would love to have a universe with no traffic maybe in, in that universe where they figured out traffic and people people don't drive at all everyone is just uh, uh, plugged in uh, into a machine where everyone's just uh, like the matrix but if you so are in the matrix everyone's just Because if you, know, you are in the machines and are... there you are trying to move around mm-hmm. and you have all these people also in the same environment you'll still feel the same problem you'll still face the problem of traffic even though it's virtual so yes it'll be just be virtual traffic i assume the machines so basically there is no respite we will always be stuck in traffic no respite yeah i think that is our one of our one of our existential crisis is realizing that your life also sucks in another way. <laughs> wow, universe. isn't that a realization for a weekend? Yeah. I know, right? Uh, that's why I'm going to throw you mm-hmm. another diversion based on that realization. Are we living in a simulation? Wow, this has, what is the This evidence? is a question which really has been boggling me since the time I saw Matrix what 13, 12, 13 years ago, and I was so blown away by that concept that um mm. is that really something we think is even possible right now but um not only that i haven't seen any evidence for it but on the contrary i have seen the evidence that it's not true especially when you see all the space explorations that we are doing it is highly unlikely that we have created an entire universe with so many different galaxies and planets and solar systems that all of this can be can be actually built out as a simulation um and if it is true 
then that is some kick-ass AI. Mm, so yeah, I don't believe. Interesting. Okay. I I don't believe we are living about. in a simulation right now. Or maybe we just don't know what the definition of simulation is. If we agree, well, then we are or we are not. So therefore, whether or not we are in a simulation, it means that we exist in, well, in Schrodinger's that, cat universe. If you, if you define it in that sense, then regardless of whether there's a computer program running at some backend server, even if this was a real life, this real life is also just a simulation because we don't live and... Uh, do things out of complete free will. There are so many rules that we have to follow. And those rules do signify that there is a system of which we are a part of, and we really cannot just break out of that system. So in that sense, the world we have created around us is nothing Mm. more than a simulation, a simulation of the kind of laws that exist, uh, the simulation of the kind of society that we have created, whether it's a democracy or communism or dictatorship, whatever it is, all of these are form of systems and controls. Uh, I just cannot take a flight today and just land up Mm. in Johannesburg. I need to follow the system. I need to apply for a visa. I need to qualify for it. I need to book a flight. I need to go to the airport. All of these are systems, right? I cannot just say that, hey, you know what? I just want a charter flight uh, right at my doorstep and I'll just get out of my bed and hop into the flight and just read Johannesburg and land at your place. Can't do that, can I? Of course, you are you are referring to constraints that we know are real, but right. then there are constraints we impose on ourselves based on the systems we identify, and then we self-sabotage exactly. ourselves. So yeah, and in that sense, we are living in a simulation. We mm. cannot just do what we please at when we please. That is at least a majority of yes. the population. A few based of them that, get away are... with it that really privileged ones, but even they, they have their own set of rules that they have to follow. So yeah, in that sense, we are in a simulation. Mm. But talking about something in a, in a mind-bending kind of way, what if two mind readers are read each other? Whose mind are they really I'm reading? I'm not sure. <laughs> Although as a third observer, um, I would just want to probably go off to sleep so that my mind is completely blank. I see. Which is what Did I think way. most of your <laughs> yes, I, I think I think you, yeah, you've chosen which I'm afraid most of your listeners are going to do listening to the two of us. They might actually just fall off asleep. Oh, I mean, we have to like we have to throw them off. We have to throw them off. I mean, that's how it works. You know. Mm-hmm. In fact, when two mind readers are reading each other, and if they are reading, that actually is the principle of the uncertainty principle, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle mm-hmm. because when two minds start to read each other whose mind are they really reading because once mm-hmm. you identify and start to measure you the know there is a concept in Hinduism called reincarnation I have now mm-hmm. all the reasons to believe that in your previous birth you were the cat looking at your sheer passion of that principle and how you always try to slip it in in most of our conversations. I have I have reasons to believe that in your past life, you were that cat and you hated it so much to be inside the box that you are now trying to oh. make little of such a wonderful principle of such a renowned scientist and you are just trying to belittle his name and his legacy. 
you are that cat, weren't you? Mm, or because, yes, and as you know, by nature, cats are <laughs> mischievous. So My only question is, does your family know your true beginnings? Your true beginnings, like where have you Do they know from? What? What, were your, what you wore in your previous birth? I need to ask, actually, because I don't know what you. my previous life was. But it seems like all, all the cats walking around was the pre-existence of all life. So it's cats that get to assess. Once the right. cat passes away, it becomes so, a yeah. human life afterwards. V- Vijay Vijayendranath, the mm. cat in that box, who did not know whether he was alive or dead. Fantastic. Exactly. And that's how cats are so <laughs> mischievous. And this is why Schrodinger's cat is right. Interesting. Well, I guess I have the honor of being the only uh, okay, so to... person on your podcast in a two-person podcast to have exceeded the 30-minute uh, time frame. Absolutely. That's sure. why I'm going to keep it short and give you one last one. And this is going to be a uh, humdinger yeah, to close us off on this fantastically great chat where we start off with <laughs> analytics and totally random afterwards. So let me ask you. Is there a scientific principle as to why strippers in the Northern Hemisphere turn around clockwise in the almost Hemisphere, but yet strippers in the Southern Hemisphere are turning on the pole in anti-clockwise? Now, this is a moral dilemma. If I choose to answer this question, I am running the risk of my wife questioning me, how do I even know that answer? Mm. So I'm going to... <laughs> Which is, in a way... Uh... A form of existence kind of question is an existential question because if you answer it correctly, I'm going. I have questions too, and I will have to talk to your wife about it. But if you don't, it actually belittles your exactly. Skills so now I am the cat. I am uncertain choose. about my future. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> wow. There we go. Okay, strippers <laughs> moving clockwise in Northern Hemisphere and anti-clockwise in Southern. I think it's something to mm. do with how even water flows. Uh, I, I saw this in a movie. I don't remember. I think it was a Sylvester Stallone movie. He was trying, I think Escape Plan. Yeah. Where he was trying to escape from a prison and he realized he was on a ship. So mm. he would see how the water flowed in, uh, in, in a commode. And based on the direction, he figured out that, okay, if it is anti-clockwise, mm. you are in the Southern Hemisphere. Something to do with the magnetic field and the gravitational fields. I don't know. I'm just... Um, running a wild guess here. That's... Yeah. yeah. Yes, it's so, got to do with the magnetic field. I yes. think that's probably also what... Uh, and then considering the human body is made up of 70% water, probably it's the same principle. Wow, did I just make mm. a scientific assessment of a completely oh, but you must know the <laughs> Yes, you did. And that's the whole point of this discussion. On that note, I bid adieu to you. Cool, man. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks, Naj. I appreciate it. Okay. Take care. Thank you so much. And uh, I'm sure we'll chat.